hey, how did you find this? You must have something better to do with your time. Maybe you should go somewhere else and do something more productive. You've stumbled on the Invisible Humanitarian Podcast, for Pete's sake. I'm Andy Rayner. I'm your guide through some unique conversations from Prince Edward Island on the Canadian East Coast. We're going to have conversations about hiking, theology, culture, commercial fishing, and even stories from French West Africa from time to time. So come and join a lot of laid-back craziness. Well, we're back from our hiatus, man. Um, on the Invisible Humanitarian Podcast, I'm not sure how many of you are still following us around. We hope you survive the COVID apocalypse. And uh, we're down in our dungeon, dungeon basement here in Kildare on Prince Edward Island, up in the north end of the island. And uh, we have a special guest with us today, and it is none other than my firstborn adult son, uh, Benjamin Rainers, with us this morning. How's everything going, Ben? Oh, it's going fairly good today. Yeah, so what's uh, what are you up to this morning on your day off? Well, I was just doing some random farming in a game that I play on, uh, trying to get a new weapon. Oh, yeah. What's this game? Uh, Final Fantasy fourteen Online. Yeah, is that the one that has Discord where you chat back and forth while yeah, you're doing Yeah, I have a whole bunch of friends that I play with on there. Some uh, some I know in real life and some I've only met through the game. Right, yeah. So so uh, how, how far around the world are these people? Um. I think the furthest one away right now is there's a guy who's in Sweden who I play with sometimes. Wow. That must be hard to organize a game with that much of a time difference around around the distance. I mean, the people from around the globe, I actually have a much easier time trying to coordinate things with because I do things early in the morning and that's usually late at night for them. So that works out for them. But like, (laughs) and trying to do something with someone on the Pacific coast is just wild for me. It drives me batty. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember one time uh, when you were, when you were homeschooled there in high school, we signed you up for a course with Athabasca University. It was online and uh, your, your proc was on uh for your course was on or was in british columbia and like in order to call him within the three hours two or three days of the week where you where you could book a time to ask questions you had to like get up at like 10 30 at night or 1 30 in the morning and call him oh i i don't remember that but that does sound like something that would happen based on the experiences <laughs> i've had in game yeah well i remember i remember you weren't too happy about it at the time anyway oh so. no I, I i don't handle late nights very well still <laughs> yeah so i uh, want you want to tell our guests what we've been doing over in the fisherman shanty the the last month or two um well there was repairing eel nets and then there was making new eel nets and that took forever yeah well, we broke your brother in in a very bad way. We taught him how to how to stitch nets on the worst possible kind of net to learn how. He'll never be the same. <laughs> you think you'd be cursed for life or something? Uh, it, it's one of those skills that you don't want to actually know how to do it because now that you know how to do it, you're going to have to do it. <laughs> Yeah, well, we have to make the eel nets because they're so expensive to buy and it's mostly labor to build them. So, well, in order to uh, not spend every cent we make on uh, on the business uh, in buying nets, we pretty well have to do it ourselves. So it's, it's tedious work, I'll tell you that. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't mind the repairing part so much, which is very similar, but like making those things is just an unbelievable amount of stitching. <laughs> yeah, and the meshes are so small. That's why it's so hard for your, your, I felt so bad for your poor brother, Tim, because 
uh, you know, learning on those little meshes when you don't have, you don't have uh, the muscle training in your hands yet and stuff. So trying to figure out how to get the needle and tie the knot so they don't slip and they're perfectly spaced to make the right size hole on a little mesh that's the size of your index fingernail. <laughs> yeah. Making, making consistent meshes, I think took me the better part of a year and a half to actually yeah. master. <laughs> yeah, well, it would. And, well, and that was just me constantly practicing at it because you were gone. So it was just me working on the eel net. So I had to sit there and just do it and then untie them if I did them wrong or cut them out or both. Yeah. Well, it was interesting because uh, the first day he was doing it, he was rather frustrated and he got about 10 inches of net done in the morning. You did two nets in the morning uh, of the stitching we had to get done. And he got about 10 inches done in one net. And I just told him, Tim... It has nothing to do with how much you do. Right now you have to figure out how to move your hands and get your fingers out of the way of the needle and how to tie those knots so that they're they're done right. Uh, for, first you figure out how to do it and then, then you work on speed. But like you say, that's a year or two process. Oh yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, we got talking about something interesting in the barn the other day. You were telling me about uh, a rogue wave since we're fishermen and ben, Ben's my first mate on the boat. Um, you know, he, he had, uh, ran into some interesting things. What was the biggest wave you've ever remember since you started fishing with me? Um, I don't think we have it on recording, but I do remember there was a day where we were, we were fishing along and you got me to get your phone out and take some recordings of some waves that we were hitting. And I think those were the biggest waves that we ever had hit. Yeah. Was like it? we didn't, we didn't get the, the best ones, best in quotation marks, I guess. Uh, <laughs> the worst. <laughs> we, we didn't get the biggest ones in the recording, but like those, that was just a barely fishable day. I think we, I think we called her quits like, uh, an hour or two after that. We didn't get everything done. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, most of the boats went in that day. Over a hundred of them went in. There we were so when we went in there, there might have been four or five of us left left out. So we we stuck it out, and maybe we shouldn't have. But that was the day we were coming off the waves and the wrenches and everything were coming off the floor of the cabin and the boat and going in the air and crashing when we come down the, the other side of like, the wave. Normally, normally I have those things set up and nestled into the bow of the boat so that they don't jostle around too much. But yeah. the thing is that the the crate of them was just literally sitting on the floor, and then it would keep. <laughs> Coming up off Airborne. the floor about like two feet and then slamming into the floor and the wrenches were everywhere. There was nothing I could do about it. Well, you can prevent things from sliding in and out of cupboards and storage areas. That's one thing. But preventing them from going airborne when they're not inside of a, a boxed uh, enclosure is, uh, well, there's nothing you can do about that. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't think that that box would move too much. I mean, the the box of wrenches is probably about like 20 kilos altogether. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but uh, it had no problem getting airborne that day. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. So, uh, so tell, tell me some of the stuff you were telling me about rogue waves. You were saying that, uh, that, that it, it's actually a relatively new phenomenon that fishermen always claimed and seamen always claimed there were such a thing as rogue waves. But you were saying that uh, you you were doing some reading in that, and and uh, and they they for the longest time science said no, there was no such thing. And it's when did they figure this out? Uh, 1995 was the first recorded incident. So basically, what had always happened is they just assumed that it was sailor stories along with mermaids and sea monsters and stuff like that of these random waves that were just too big. Yeah. Uh, up until that point, they had a linear wave model that they used to predict how big waves could potentially be. And when people would report these waves that were just astronomically sized, they'd just say, that's not possible. We have the science to prove it. 
Wow. So like, so the early nineties, 95 and, uh, I said, January 1st of 1995. <laughs> so, so what they, what they basically probably thought was, is that the energy and the, and the power that's stored in, in the water through the winds that forms the waves, they, they just probably generally thought that that would be uniform, um, and distribute it uniformly over the water or, or, or. And so they didn't think that you could just have one area where there was more energy in one spot than the other. Like what, why, why was this to them well, basically scientifically they, impossible? I, I, I wrote this down. Uh, they, they had something called the Gaussian function, which basically you checked the depth of the water. There was things like the currents and tides were taken into account and then also the wind. And they would use that to predict how big the waves could potentially be at a given range. So more or less what was happening was that their models didn't allow for waves as big as people were reporting, even in the systems that were happening. So like they get into these hurricanes and stuff like that and they'd be like, oh, so like the average wave will be about like 10 meters tall. Right. And then, you know, maybe on the outside, there'll be something like about 15 meters tall. Yeah. And people would come back every once in a while and report these waves that were even bigger than that. And they're like, that's not possible. So yeah. you, you just thought it was bigger than that. So an average of 10 meters, then we got clobbered by one that went by that was 20 or something like that. Yeah. So it was a wave that was, let me look here. Uh, I think it was 25 meters tall. Oh my gosh. So what what had happened was basically up until this point, they had just said to everyone, it was like, these things don't exist. Ships were getting hit by these waves, but they were, they were just calling them either, you know, one in a million incidents, essentially, or people just remembering them bigger than they actually were. And <laughs> exaggerating it. <laughs> yeah. So they built this new oil derrick wow. off of the uh, coast of Norway. And it was a brand new state-of-the-art oil derrick with a special with a special bottom and stuff like that. So they put a whole bunch of sensors all over it in order to measure the uh, tides, waves, and all that stuff like that, just to help protect the derrick. And, and the North Sea is a pretty wild spot for it, weather. It is very wild. So the average waves that were going by that night were about ten meters tall. Wow. Okay. So that, that's just to give you a, a slight indication of how weird this wave was. That's still tall. Yeah, those are still some pretty big waves, but I mean, <laughs> it, it, was, us. it was still yeah. well within what they had expected. Yeah. Like the, the Derek was fine. Right. But then uh, all of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden this wave went by and they, they had to go out and check the sensors and everything on it after, after the storm had passed just to verify that it had happened because they were just looking at these charts and then all of a sudden there was this giant spike. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And they thought it was a, it was bad data or something. Yeah. Because it was just a laser pointed down at the wave. So they assumed something had just blocked the laser to say that it was that tall. But when they went down to check everything, like there was damage all on the bottom of the derrick from this giant uh, force that had gone by. That shouldn't have been probably been able to touch the bottom of it. Probably not. I mean, the derrick <laughs> itself was fine. It was just yeah. minor damage to the undercarriage, but yeah. still. Wow. So so how high was that wave that they recorded? 25 tw meters. So uh, that's, that's... That's approximately 80 feet tall. Wow. I don't care what kind of ship you're in. That's going to hurt. <laughs> yeah. They also found out it was going about 72 kilometers an hour when it went by. Uh, so you can't outrace them. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Well, whenever we're sailing, if we see a if we're side sea and we see a big wave coming in, because when you're sailing side sea on a rough day, you're always watching for one of those rogue waves coming in. And, uh, you, you know, what we do is we have to turn, turn the boat around and put a bow into it. Because if you take it side sea, you're going to roll. 
So uh, we might not have actually seen any rogue waves in our career, actually. Yeah. Because the definition of a rogue wave, they can still be relatively small. Like if you're in a three foot sea, if you see a six foot tall wave come by, that's a rogue wave. Right. Usually the waves that we're seeing are just essentially peak waves. So, yeah. you know, they're still within the range that they're yeah. predicting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I don't. So, think you know, you're... sitting in a six foot sea and then all of a sudden an eight foot tall wave goes by. That's a big wave. Yeah. But, it's not, mistake, a, but it's not technically a, a rogue, rogue wave. wave. Yeah. No, no. I understand that because, uh, because like I say, a rogue wave is, is the one that really shocks you when you see the difference when it comes at you. And it's, it's, it's not, not as common. But I remember one time I was fishing with dad. We were down off of Jacques Cartier Park inside there and it was after a storm and there was still a swell you know how the water can be mirror smooth but the big round you know slow swells were still heaving in and uh anyways we had gear that was in 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 shallow water and we went in to pick it up and take it out anyway and then uh, we had uh, all the gear on the on the washboards stacked on there hauling some traps out and uh, dad said, look out, we were sailing back out and, and uh, it was a white cap on the top, but the swells, I don't know how big they were. They were probably 10, 10, 12 foot swells, big swells after the storm, which, you know, when they're a big round swell is nothing for our boat to go over. But, uh, but as we were going out, we hit this wave and uh, you know, the, uh, the, those aerials for the VHF on the boat there. Yeah. Well, it's, it's 18 feet tall. And it's mounted on the washboard of of the up beside the cabin. So so you're probably talking about six feet over the ocean height anyway. And then up to the ring where the top last portion of the antenna is screwed onto the main mast, it's probably 12, 14 feet up there, 15 feet. Uh, yeah, probably 15 feet plus the height from the washboard yeah, to the I'd water. Yeah, I'd say at least 15 feet if yeah. you're using the same aerials as we have now. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And uh, anyway, it was, it was probably, that was the biggest wave I've ever seen. And it, it just rolled in and uh, we hit it bow on and the boat just went up and up and up and it just dropped down the other side. And I thought we were going to lose every trap on that boat. And we didn't lose one because we hit it square bow on. And, uh, and the funny thing is, is, uh, there was a guy from Alberton just further south of us who fishes in around there. And, uh, he, uh, he called into boats. He was out a little further. We went out to drop those, that gear off. And, uh, he called into the fellows that were inside him. He said, uh, keep an eye out for this wave that went by. He said he was, uh, fishing a, a bunch and he had just finished it and he seen it coming and he, he, he got the boat cut around bow into it. And he just said to the boys, he said, he said, I know it sounds stupid with just these smooth round swells out here. But he said, I, I said, I have my doubts. You'll survive you know, survive that without, uh, without the boat rolling over. If you take that side sea in there, so you, you know, keep, keep your eye out because it was unbelievable what rolled by. Yeah. That's, that's actually a feature of the rogue waves as well. Yeah. So the, the big problem with them, aside from the fact that they're just giant walls of water is that they're not slow rolls like you would normally expect on ocean waves. Right. They actually like go ridiculously steep up. So Oftentimes boats just have to either go through or yeah. take it side seat. They don't really have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. <clears throat> well, the boat can't lift on them when they're, when they're tall and straight like that. So that's usually when you, when you take out your, your windows and break your cabin off and things like that, because the boat just goes through it like a steel rod. Yeah. Well, one yeah. of the, uh, one of the most, uh, well-documented potential rogue waves from 1978. Yeah. Um, they determined that it was possibly a wave of, uh, 
astronomical size back then. Now we're pretty darn sure that it was a rogue wave. Yeah. But when they found the, the only thing they ever found of this boat essentially was some small debris and a life raft. Yeah. And the life raft was secured 20 meters above sea level. And every single one of the bolts that holds it on was right. sheared. So we're talking about like 20 ton shear strength, essentially. They're like, there's no way that this got hit by a normal wave. This must have been like wow. one of those waves that we predicted on this linear model. That's like one in every 10,000 years. Wow. <laughs> one in every 10,000 years. Yeah. They so, found out that not only are those waves not one in 10,000 years, they're like happening every day yeah. out on the open ocean. <laughs> we just don't always see them. Yeah. Yeah. We don't always have buoys in places where they're going to record all the data. So what, what, uh, uh, what are they finding that what's the biggest recorded wave on a, on a, on a navigational buoy that they recorded? Or um, actually you know, it was a platform <clears throat> that they set up down off of the coast of South Africa just to measure wave recordings. Right. So over the course of six years, they recorded about 1,500 rogue waves go by. Right. Um, most of them were in excess of about two times the normal wave height. But some of them, they had, I think, 15 instances of waves that were four times or later, larger. And there was three <laughs> instances of some that were 10 times larger. Oh, my gosh. So the largest recorded wave that I could find was 48 meters tall. Oh my gosh. Well, and the fact is, is that, that if, can you imagine us uh, being or out there in a boat sailing around with waves that you've decided, oh, I can do this. And then getting one that's twice as tall or three times as tall, four and 10 times as tall, uh, that, it, that would no. do us in. <laughs> no, like there, shortly after the, um. Uh, Shortly after the oil derrick wave uh, that kicked everything off, they actually had a recorded instance of a passenger liner getting hit by a 25 meter tall wave. The captain said that it looked like we were heading for the White Cliffs of Dover, and in order to try to, <laughs> in order to try to get by it, he uh, tried to surf the wave as best he could, and then finally he just ended up taking most of it broadside. Oh wow! Yeah, and it didn't roll the ship. No, they got very lucky. Yeah. Wow. I just can't even Actually, imagine that. Uh, there, there was also a recorded incident back in 1990, uh, not 93, uh, 1943, uh, a cruise ship taking troops across the Atlantic with, uh, 1500 passengers on it got hit by a broadside wave that was 20 meters tall. Oh, wow. Rolled the thing 52 degrees. Oh man. That, that's, that's, that's a, an old crap moment right there. <laughs> yeah. So like, n remember 90 degrees is straight sideways. It definitely would have capsized at that point. 52 degrees is more than halfway sideways. Yeah. That's enough. They calculated it that if it had rolled literally two more degrees, it would have capsized, but it magically managed to right itself. They were very, very fortunate. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, off the, uh, that, that, that South Africa, of course, you're talking about uh, deep water down there, uh, winds coming in from the uh, or Antarctica. And uh, so, you know, we're, we, we would see, we could see roll graves here, but we're fishing not, you know, we're only fishing in a couple hundred feet of water the most here. So but we're not going to see anything that's 40 meters no, tall. No, it's just uh, physically with the depth of the water, it can't happen, which is, uh, doesn't bother me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, around around like uh, Cape Horn and off of South Africa and stuff is where you start to see a lot of these things because there's a bunch of different currents yeah. that are um, happening. They're, they're not the only reason, obviously, because uh, they can't figure out why rogue waves happen out at sea. Right. 
because there's no warm water and cold water currents, which is what's happening down off of South Africa. South Africa is just a hot spot, essentially. Right. Yeah. No, it's one of the worst weather in the world down there for seamanship, they say. Yeah. Well, you have the cold Atlantic meeting with the warm Indian Ocean. So right there, you already have problems with just large waves in general. Yeah. And then they find out that, you know, our wave models can't predict these random waves either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, we have uh, somebody in our family that uh, went down here just a couple of years ago and uh, they were out fishing and it was a bad day. And one one, uh, one young fella survived and got ashore and had to run to inform people the boat went down. They didn't even know it went down. The captain and, and somebody that's related to us uh, drowned. And uh, he said they were just uh, on their way back to, to the harbor. And uh, anyways, they took a wave, that a rogue wave that just came over the top of the boat. And, uh, and they thought they might be able to recover from that, he said. And, uh, and then they took two more right after it and, uh, and the boat just couldn't handle yeah, knowing, them in a row. Yeah. I, I remember that story and knowing what I know now, I know exactly what that's called. What is it? It's called the three sisters. Yeah. See, so, see, when we go out the harbor, that's what they tell us. That's what my dad always told me when I started fishing. And when we, before we go out the North block, if it's really bad there, you watch and you watch, you, you'll, you usually see three three rolling waves, big ones. And as soon as the third one goes by, go. And, uh, that, that's not a hundred percent guarantee, but usually when you see one, there's two more behind it. That's very consistent at the Harbor there. Yeah. That's just a general nautical phenomenon. So it's kind of, kind of expected that you see rogue waves in that pattern as well. Mm -hmm. So if you get one, it's never one. It's, it's a series. Sometimes it's only one, but sometimes you get a series where it's just three back to back. And can you imagine, you know, it's, it's weird enough to see one of these waves. It's like way too big already go by. And then you get, you get hit by another one and then another one. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, well, you know, the funny thing about it is, is I, 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 you know, as a fisherman, I just sit here and laugh, you know, it's like the science. Oh, that's not possible. Your eyes are fooling you. You're just, you just got worked up in the, you know, it was a big wave and you just got all excited and you're over, over exaggerating it. You know, it's like, it's like we have the science and you're just a stupid fisherman. It's just like, uh, sometimes Ob, ob, our observation is uh, <laughs> off the charts to uh, to to compare to uh, raw data that you're fiddling with in a model on a computer. Well, that's that's the thing about it, right? Because like I never even considered the possibility that rogue waves weren't real. It's something that I always grew up with. It's something that I knew was a phenomenon. Yeah. Well, see, what year were you born? I mean, I was born in '90, but yeah. But I mean. You didn't know up until this point that science didn't think they were a real thing until halfway through the 90s? No, I, no. I, and I, I mean, I wouldn't have... you, you can bet that Grampy never knew that either, but he always told us about these things. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that funny, eh? It's just, we, we consider it as basic fact of life as a sailor. And then all of a sudden we find out that the scientific community only recently swung around to believing us. <laughs> So there you go. So the moral of the story is believe your local fishermen. I mean, there was plenty of recorded evidence beforehand. It's just they wouldn't believe it. There was actually a French uh, captain back in uh, 18... Let me see what I wrote down here. It, it was in the 1800s. And he came back to France and reported these waves that were over 100 feet tall. Yeah. And he had several eyewitnesses because they were on the ships. Right. And they just said, that's, that's not possible. You're just telling stories to get attention. Yeah. So fisherman's story. Oh, well, anyway. I mean, some of, someone pointed out in a response to the video that part of the reason why they probably didn't believe rogue waves were real is 
ships aren't really built to withstand them, especially in the olden times when it's wooden ships. If you yeah. get hit by a hundred foot tall wave in a wooden keel ship, yeah. you're probably not coming back to tell people about it. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, I, I, I don't want to see anything uh, even close to 25 feet, not in my lifetime. That, that'll that be enough for our 45-foot boat. Yeah, I don't don't think I ever want to encounter one of those either. Yeah, well, anyway, good to have you in t- talking about that. Before before we quit, though. Yeah, what do you got? Okay, I do have a gaff for you. Okay. You've probably actually seen the only live recording of a rogue wave already. Really? Yeah. There's only one recording of, of a rogue wave? There is only one video recorded incident of a rogue wave currently. Oh, okay. And on YouTube? Uh, you can find it on YouTube, sure, but the place you probably want to go to find it is the Discovery Channel. Okay. And and do you remember the name of the video or the broadcast or yeah, something? Yeah, I do. I... So we can all have a look at that one, only one recorded rogue wave on video. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I... That's That's like the giant squid story. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> so it was uh, in the Bering Sea. It was an 18 meter tall wave. Yeah. And it was the Alpluian Ballad okay. on the show Deadliest Catch. It got hit in 2005 and they had it live recorded for the show. Wow. That... So you, you have probably seen it already and yeah. you just don't remember. But that's wow. literally the only video footage they ever have had of a rogue wave hitting a ship. So, so the scientific ocean, ocean, oceanographic people have to watch a deadliest catch in order to see a phenomenon they've only learned about in a textbook. Wow. And like, I, I went and watched that video cause I never really watched <laughs> deadliest catch, but I know you enjoyed it. And it, it's very startling to see that because you literally see the water hit the cab and you know how high up those cabs are. Oh yeah. And like yeah. there, there it was a bad sea, but there was nothing that was getting too high over the nose of the boat and did just all of a sudden this cab gets slammed by water on the side. Wow. Well, search for rogue waves. That's what we'll have to tell everybody to do. We know they're real. You don't believe us. Most people don't believe us. Uh, but, you know, fishermen uh, have, have great observation skills and sometimes time and experience goes a long ways too, I guess. Hey? Yeah. Thanks for uh, joining us on the podcast today, Ben. Hey, glad to be here. Yeah. Are you still here? You must be a real sucker for punishment. Thank you for listening to the Invisible Humanitarian podcast today. Check out our website at theinvisiblehumanitarian.ca or check us out on our Facebook page. Please subscribe to us and leave us a good rating on your favorite podcast subscriber. And please, whatever you do, tell all your crazy friends about this podcast.